The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 133 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I would never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment. And I would never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. So just a reminder, folks, we're on at least a dozen different playback mediums now. You can listen to us any episode you like on our very own website at www.tf7radio.com. We're open 24-7, 365, as you know, on the Internet, and you can listen to us anywhere around the globe. We're up to like 50 countries right now. So please make sure you visit the site. we got... The regular cybersecurity news posted every day. You can even buy TF7 merchandise now, and we'll be updating that again as, as soon as we can. And when you visit, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. It's a great way to keep in touch with the TF7 family. So I hope everyone is staying safe out there. Um, I hope your families are healthy and well. Um, tough times, right? Tough times. Um, look, keep up the good spirits, folks. I, I just want to say something before we start the show. I, if you're one of the people who, who is able to work, if you're one of those people who are working and still guarding a salary and your job hasn't been affected uh, by this pandemic uh, response and you've been able to work from home and, and keep things going, if you can, now's the time to hire some people to do some of the jobs maybe around the house that you've been putting off for a while. You know, maybe it's painting the fence or painting the playground or you know, mulching you know, the, the bush garden or whatever you got going on there. I mean, sealing the driveway, trimming the bushes, fertilizing the lawn. There's lots to do outside. I know some folks have big yards, uh, live out in the suburbs. Look, those outdoor jobs that are conducive to social distancing and that are safe to hire someone to do and where people really need to work, by the way, if you have the money, now's the time. Now's the time. If there ever was a time to hire somebody to do this kind of stuff, now is the time. I mean, it's really, really important um, to try to keep people working, you know, and try to get the economy going and to keep people in business. And don't forget about the restaurants either. I mean, I'm seeing some crazy numbers about these restaurants. Statistics are just horrible. In some cases, in, in some major cities, as much as 80% of these restaurants might not survive uh, at all. They'll not be able to come back. It's just, it's just brutal. So for the restaurants in your town that are open, um, 
look, if you can help them by ordering out, doing takeout and, 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 you know, try to do it once a week or whenever you can, whatever you can afford. And if it works for you and it's not going to be a big deal, don't forget to do it. Right. I mean, I can't, I can't express to you how much you're going to be helping these people and helping our communities and, 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 you know, stay alive and um, getting the whole community going again. I mean, we got to support each other, right? This is a really big deal to local businesses. And I just want people to remember that even though we're in it together, right? We are in it together, right? We're definitely in this together. We're helping you. The pandemic is not affecting everybody the same. All right. It just isn't. All right. So we say we're in it together. If we're really in it together, then remember the people that are suffering right now. Now there's a people that are suffering from the response of the pandemic. So let's not forget to support them. If we're really in it together, then let's, let's, let's make sure we act uh, upon our words. All right. Just, just a, just a short note, I wanted to say that. I mean, there's a lot going on out there, but, uh, you know, do what you can. I know I'm going to try myself. So, all right, we've got a great show for you this evening. We've got another Tier 1 CISO coming on Task Force 7 Radio. Mr. Sean Walls is going to be with us tonight. Sean is currently the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer of VisionWorks. It's a billion-dollar retail and healthcare company. He has 20 years of experience in cybersecurity and information technology. He's got a huge, strong business acumen and extensive experience in business development and growth strategies, including mergers and acquisitions and divestitures. He has held executive leadership roles with several national security consulting and IT integration companies. And Sean has successfully developed comprehensive security programs for national and international companies and has also built two successful cybersecurity business units for very large IT solution providers. Additionally, he has been a strategic advisor to hundreds of companies over the years in the areas of governance, risk management, compliance, security strategy, and technology management. So it's time to welcome to the show, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for VisionWorks, Mr. Sean Walls. Sean, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, George. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, it's great to have you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about information security today and what it means to people. I know people talk about information security. They talk about cybersecurity. Sometimes they interchange these types of things. But what is information security? Let's just level set right, off the, right out of the gate. So, I mean, information security has evolved a lot over the uh, over the years, in my opinion, and it's really kind of matured and come into its own uh, in in the last decade, maybe decade and a half or so. But it, in my opinion, it's really a, a a lot of things. It's it's a set of policies and, and practices, standards, technologies, and so on, aimed at you know safeguarding the the the. the security triad, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of an organization's assets, uh, their, their systems, their data, their applications, their business processes. Um, and so it, it does this in a number of different ways, most uh, paramount by implementing a strategy and a security program that manages risk, that aligns with the, the organization's risk appetite um, and, and business priorities. So uh, so it's 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 complex because it's really that that umbrella overall of technology and and the business for that matter. It doesn't hit one particular silo within an organization and uh, uh, you know or, or technology for that matter. And so it, uh, it it's 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 complex and it's it's evolving, but it's a, it's a fascinating uh, fascinating area. So do you think uh, you know? I, I had a conversation with someone the other day and. And they were sort of insistent upon the fact that information security can't be transferred from vertical to vertical. In other words, 
even even within these small little business units within an organization, information security can mean a different thing. And I tried to tell them, at least it was my opinion, that that wasn't true. Um, information security was more of the way I just you just described it to our to our audience. Um, is it, it is information security transferable? Are those skills transferable from sector to sector? Like if I went from finance to healthcare, am I going to be handicapped because I never worked in healthcare before? So that is that is a loaded question. So let me just let me back it up a little bit and uh, preface it with you know security principles, standards, best practices. Um, they're they're transferable. They're they're common across all verticals, all businesses, all industries. I mean the the things that we do to to, to harden, to protect, to monitor, to respond to threats uh, in, in our environment, uh, you know, are are somewhat common across the board. Now, when you go from vertical to vertical or industry to industry, uh, healthcare to, to fintech or vice versa, like you just mentioned, you, you have some caveats there that are industry specific that could or hinder your ability to perform uh, you know, in that particular industry or, or give you a pretty steep learning curve when you move over. And, and really that resides mostly in the, in the business model and in the compliance requirements uh, given that, you know, in the particular industry you're talking about. So FinTech is, or finance is, uh, is heavily um, regulated as is healthcare, but they're different. The, 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 the regulations are different. The, the bodies that you have to uh, be accountable to are, are different. The audits that you go through, the things that they check for are somewhat different, uh, even though the security best practices may, may remain the same. So I think that if you have a good, solid understanding in, uh, you know, say healthcare, for example, um, being that it is a highly regulated industry and, you, and, and the foundational principles are the same, I think you could transfer those over to, to a fintech environment. However, there would be some you know, so some initial investment from a learning perspective that you would have to, uh, uh, you, you'd have to engage in because you just have to learn the, the business. You have to learn the compliance requirements uh, because security nowadays, as, um, as we're seeing it mature, is really something that is, is trying to align with the business, the control, the kind of controls that you select, uh, the, whether it's the rigidity or the, um, the, the flexibility of those controls have to align with the business, have to, to not get in the way of business and what, would get in the way of a healthcare company might be different than what would get in the way of a, of a, of a finance company. So um, yeah, it's transferable, but there, there are some nuances and some, um, some differences between the industries for sure. Hey, Sean, real quick on uh, regulated versus non-regulated entities. Do, do you feel like you're within our community that, you know, it's easier to deploy in regulated environments because you don't have to influence as much or do you feel like the influence is there, whether it's regulated or not, like needing those soft skills to get people to buy in to do things because you don't have that regulatory hammer to say, we have to do these things. And does that factor in? Uh, it does. And, it, and it's different from business to business because it's really about the culture. It's really about how companies get things done and the attitude they have towards security. So you can be in a highly regulated uh, vertical or industry and all they care about is just checking that box and meeting that compliance requirement so they can continue to do business without sanctions or, or interference from any regulatory body. If, uh, But however, if you are in a, a highly regulated industry, you you already have that advantage of the, the business has bought into security. They bought into the value of it and the necessity, the business necessity for it. So therefore getting that, that buy-in and having that leverage, having that authority, um, it, that, that foundation is already 
already laid. However, uh, going above and beyond just the compliance requirements sometimes could, could, could be challenging depending on, like I said, the culture or the, the business uh, uh, that you're dealing with. That's interesting. You know, I never really thought about it that way in terms of, you know, we talk a lot on this show about skill sets and what are the most important skill sets. And sometimes it's, you know, they're all important, but we try to prioritize them in some degree and talk about how people pivot in their, their, during their careers um, to, uh, you know, move up the chain. Uh, but that's interesting. You know, people that might not have uh, the best soft skills, the influence, the persuasion skills probably operate better in a highly regulated environment. But that leads me to my next question. How do you build an effective information security program like from the beginning? Like what, what kind of tips can you give people if they're out there trying to build a program, trying to mature it, trying to transform the program into something uh, that has a really good defense and depth security posture? So, so I'll go back to what Andy just said and, uh, and say that, you know, it, it, those, those softer skills, the, the persuasion, that influence, that, that interpersonal rapport, the trust and the, uh, you know, and the uh, credibility that you build with the business and with, uh, with other functional groups within the organization is critical because getting buy-in to affect change within an organization is huge. Um, now, from a, an, an effective security program, like a security program is a very ambiguous term. It's a very high-level um, sort of umbrella type term that uh, really needs to be defined. And, and the best way to define it is it's, it's a bunch of smaller programs that are uh, organized and, and work together, uh, uh, you know, under the auspice of a, of a security strategy that aligns with the business. And so when I say smaller, um, when, when I say smaller uh you know, programs, I'm talking about programs like incident response and disaster recovery and business continuity and uh, security awareness training and identity and access management, patch management, configuration management, asset, all these little programs that, that go into, uh, into making uh, an overall security program. But these things have to be stitched together through a strategy that aligns with the business. And so that strategy really kind of boils down to, you know, how can we put this in place in a way that, that minimizes risk or reduces risk to a level that's commensurate with the business risk appetite, but doesn't interfere or, or minimally interferes with the business's ability to be agile, to be flexible, to be responsive to the market, to conduct business in the way that it, uh, it needs to, to, be, to be successful, to be competitive. You know, it's interesting because we talk about being business aligned on here and how important it is for cybersecurity folks to understand the business. I, think I just had a recent guest on here who said when they ask you know, uh, security professionals who say they're business aligned, how does the business actually make money? They cannot articulate in any fashion whatsoever how the business actually makes money. Um, and I, think, I, I feel like that's a really big problem because you have the business strategy on how they're going to make the money. You have the technology strategy is basically you know, giving the business the tech to make that money. And then you have the security strategy, which secures the tech to make sure that the business makes money. And if you don't know how all that works together, then you don't really have that vision and you're not really business aligned. You can't speak the language of the business. How important is it to be business aligned, to get business buy-in? And what does that really look like in real life, not just a, uh, you know, a, a, a line? So you you hit on a hugely important point, especially to me. I mean, I, I've been in this industry for a long time, and as I've watched security mature, the importance of aligning with business uh, and the priorities and the strategy and the plan of the business uh, is is crucially important. Um, so so as far as so, so the first thing that I do when I when I start 
you know, with any organization, whether I'm consulting or whether I'm working as a CISO in, in, in the case of, of VisionWorks, is to, to, to meet all the, the significant influencers, decision makers, all the way up to the, you know, the, the, the board of directors to understand what the, uh, the nature of the business is, how it makes money, how, what his plan is, uh, is for that year and, and for, for you, know, three, you know, two to five years down the road. And what that'll do is that'll allow me to implement a security strategy that doesn't get in the way, but, but even, even goes a little bit further and it empowers and enhances and enables the business. So for example, if you're working for a company that's, you know, it's, it's top priority is to break into certain markets uh, and, and those markets are regulated. So you say the state of California, for example, um, having a compliance program that, that's nimble, that's flexible, that's mature, that's, that, that can move swiftly to be able to ramp up and uh, and meet those compliance requirements will help you, you know, help speed you to market. Will help uh, the organization, uh, you know, beat the competition into that particular space. Uh, say, save money, help help drive revenue in that sense. Um, if if protecting data, or if you're in a highly uh, regulated industry, and and making sure that you're compliant or or, or meeting com- uh, privacy or um, certain compliance requirements is important, then having that compliance program that's that's mature, or having a uh, you know a security program certification of some sort, like I. 27,001, for example, would go a long way to enhancing the brand. Because there's, there's things that security can do that we haven't really focused on or looked at in the past that it, that can enhance, can, can generate value. We've always been perceived as the, the group that... Um, that preserves value, where in actual fact, we, we can you know, generate value, we can create value for an organization through brand enhancement, through speed to market, through compliance uh, mechanisms and programs that are efficient, that are flexible, through securing and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, the DevOps or the, the product development lifecycle to make sure that security is baked into it so you save money in the long run and, and make sure that when you go to market, you're not dealing with lawsuits or issues, uh, you know, because of the lack of forethought from a security perspective. How do you think cybersecurity has changed over the years? Like, what do we need to be concerned about or at least aware about as a cybersecurity professional and especially a manager? So, so what I think security has, well, it, it's evolved. And, and, and for those of us that have been in the, the business or in the industry for long enough, they, we've watched it kind of mature, you know, from the server room to the boardroom. We've watched it become, uh, rather than extend, just an extension of IT, its own you know, business discipline or technology discipline. Uh, and it's more than just technology. It's, it's, it's overarching discipline. Um, so, so that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've had the privilege of witnessing is watching the maturity of, uh, of this, you know, this functional group, this practice that was really nothing. It didn't exist 25 ish years ago, uh, into a, a, a central, you know, practice within an organization and, and something that's become, integral to the, the business strategy of, uh, for, for any organization that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's mature and, and takes, uh, their business strategy seriously. So, so that's one thing. Um, and I think as far as, uh, you know, the, the governance and the management of, of security, what I've seen is I've seen it go from just a technology type thing where firewalls and antivirus were kind of the, uh, the, the focus of security a couple of decades ago to, to governance, to true governance with policies and standards and, and processes that are, that are, uh, 
thoughtfully created and, and aligned with the business and, and even approved by the business where you, you stand up an information security steering committee and that has representation from other uh, aspects, divisions, functional groups within the organization that review the policies that you're setting and, and, and provide feedback to make sure that it's properly aligned with the business. So it's really become integral to the business. It's changed from just a technology kind of discipline to a, a, a true business uh, you know, uh, function. All right, folks, we've got to transition into a commercial break here, but uh, stick with us. we got lots more to come here on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family. I want to remind our audience we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network, we're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for VisionWorks, Mr. Sean Walls. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Signet, S-I-N-E-T. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, 
live and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for VisionWorks, Mr. Sean Walls. So, Sean, we were talking a little bit about how to build an information security program uh, from the ground up um, in the previous segment. How do you start to build the IS program? What's the first thing you start to build? What's the second thing you start to build? Uh, How important is talent and how important is intelligence in this whole uh, operation? So that, that's a loaded question. Um, and it really depends on whether you're kind of just starting and you've already been in the organization, you're starting to really see the value in, in organizing your, your approach to, uh, to managing risk and managing security, or you're just starting, uh, you know, uh, with an organization brand new and, and learning the business. But either way, uh, the, the best approach for me is to, is to have a risk assessment done. If you have the skills, you, you can potentially do that yourself. Um, so I, I've consulted for, for a number of years, almost a decade in a previous life and uh, performed hundreds and hundreds of, of risk assessments. There's value in, in that because what you can do is you can go and take a look at um, the, the overall security program and the business and, 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 and inventory these, these risks. But what risks, uh, a risk assessment does allows you to prioritize your approach. Uh, what are the, the, the biggest gaps in your program? Uh, what are the, the, the most... Uh, impactful, potentially negatively impactful things that could happen to the organization, the biggest threats that you're dealing with. Um, but if if you're really starting out from uh, from scratch, if we're, if we're talking to an audience here that is, say, an NSMB, sort of a small and mid-sized business, and they haven't really considered uh, or taken security seriously, and they're kind of looking at it now, they're at that point where they need to, to start really uh, being more strategic and intentional about security, I would say start with with cyber hygiene. Uh, that's that's a, kind of a buzzword. It's a, or buzz buzz term, and uh, we we hear it a lot. But really laying that foundation for th- and what's cyber hygiene. Uh, 
pardon me, cyber hygiene means is, uh, you know, those, those foundational practices, best practices like identity and access management, privileged access management, uh, patch uh, patch management, uh, making sure that you have antivirus configured properly, system hardening, um, making sure you have a, a proper perimeter uh, defense uh, asset management, those things that um, lay the foundation for any good security program. Because 85% of our risks can be can be addressed or dealt with by proper um, hygiene. And so once you have those practices, those operational practices, those standards in place for, uh, you know, for, uh, for managing threats and risks, uh, then you can start being more intentional from a governance perspective, um, looking at uh, policies and, and standards that, that document and, and, and provide some consistency uh, and some standardization across your organization. Um, and and if, now if I was just take a you know, for example, starting at VisionWorks, you come into an organization blind and you really don't know what you're dealing with from a technology perspective, from a maturity perspective, from even from a business perspective, what's important to the business. So you got to understand what that is first. And then making sure that you have the capability to to defend and protect that business because you can, you, you can mature a security program or a security practice uh, you know, forever and ever. That, that, that process never ends. So you don't start out by trying to mature you know, your, your policies and procedures. You, you identify those, you inventory those, you do that gap analysis, but you, you lay the foundation uh, with, with programs that can respond, can identify and respond to, uh, to threats that can ensure the, the, the continuity of the business. So incident response, for example, having that visibility and, and maturity to be able to respond to, to a threat or to something that's, that's materializing, some kind of incident that's, that's developing, and to be able to mitigate that before it becomes a business impacting uh, event uh, or business uh, continuity and disaster recovery uh, type. Uh, type program so that if you had ransomware or some kind of uh, you know event within the organization could you bounce back could you restore up proper operations but at the end of the day that's your job your job is to make sure the business continues and that the in any negative impact as a result of cyber threats uh, are materialized or minimized to the to the greatest degree possible um, vulnerability management is another foundational one making sure that you identify those those weaknesses within your organization and and have a, a program or a process for uh, for for mitigating or for you know, remediating those, and a lot of times that goes hand in hand with with patch management because eighty five, you know, eighty ninety percent of our vulnerabilities are usually patch related, right? You know, operating system and, and third party software patching related. Uh, and then I guess the last thing I would say is making sure that you you train your employees on on what a threat looks like, how to respond, how to notify the organization of uh, you know of, of, of malicious activity or a threat that's that's developing within. Uh, within the environment. Uh, so that's that security awareness training, just making sure that you turn your employees who a lot, of, a lot of times are considered our biggest risk because we're trusting them, we're giving them access to sensitive and critical systems, you know, turning them from our biggest risk to our, our biggest ally or our best ally uh, where they can be the front lines, the, the eyes, uh, you know, in the field that can let us know what's going on uh, and, and uh, help us defend, um, you know, what's important to the company. So a lot of what you what you were saying sort of um, reminded me of someone who has to come in and be this transformational change agent uh, for for an organization. And you have sometimes where a, a new senior information security professional, a lot of times the CISO comes in to an organization that's already built. And you talked about a little bit about you know when you come in, you know, and w- what the situation is. And after the after the CISO understands what the line of business does and how the business makes money and what they need to do, is it? really difficult for them to 
get people to change in information security. I find that a lot of people don't want to follow a new CISO. And maybe that's why a lot of CISOs bring in their own people to make it easier on themselves. You know, what are your thoughts around that uh, in terms of, you know, them taking over a new organization and trying to influence some of these people who have been doing the same thing for 10 years, sometimes even longer, to do something different? So that's, that's a great question. And if you listen to some of my other podcasts, you'll see that I, I always go back to relationships. It's about developing relationships with the decision makers, the influencers within the organization, developing that credibility, that interpersonal rapport. Uh, because in order to affect change within, a, within an organization, you need to have uh, allies and, and advocates and champions of, of cybersecurity within the various uh, functional groups and divisions and, uh, and business groups within the organization. Because uh, you're never going to change culture. You're never going to change people. People are naturally, for whatever reason, human nature, are, are uh, you know, resistive to change. They, uh, they don't want to change. They like doing things the way that they've always done them because it's easier. They're used to it. They're, it's familiar. And so to affect change, you have to start with the top. You have to start with people that, that lead other people and, and, and get their buy-in, get, gain their trust. And, and once you've done that, if you don't invest in that early on, you're, you're, you're doomed to fail because you will not just slam your fist down on the table and say, this is how it's going to be because nobody will follow you. No, nah, no one's going to listen to that. No, exactly. <laughs> to these days. Yep. Nah. So, so, so it's, it's about those software skills. It's about those relationships. Yeah. And it'll always be that way because we are social creatures and we follow a hierarchy and, uh, and effective leaders know how to develop trust and rapport with other humans. And, uh, and that's how you do it. You identify who the influence are, influencers are within an organization. You develop that trust. Uh, and once they trust you, they know that you have their best interest or the business's best interest at heart. They will, they'll follow. They, they will, they will inherently trust what you have to say and then enforce that on those that are under them. Yeah. I took a whole course on transformational change in my master's degree. And one of the things that we studied was that in the area of security, in law enforcement, uh, security, information security, places like that. Transformational change is the hardest. I think law enforcement is probably the hardest. And then the security industry after that, a lot of people in security are former law enforcement. Um, and it just seems to me like it's just, uh, it's really difficult. And it's sort of counterintuitive in terms of security because you really need to be agile and flexible to be a really good uh, information security manager and have a good program. And uh, so it, it, it really doesn't jive together very well if you can't be flexible and, and, and you're not agile enough to change to your environment. What's it? What's it's true. And, and so let me just add on to that and say that be, be up, be beyond the, the interpersonal skills, making choices and, and, and choosing controls and, and policies that, that uh, have the, the, the interest of the business at heart. I'm going to keep going back to this because it's so, it's so critical to, to a security program and making sure that when you select a control, it's not the most intense control, it's the, it's the best fit control. You, security, the culture is not going to change for security. You need to align security with the culture. You got to put something, you got to put a program in place that is, is, you know, greases the gear and make sure that uh, that it fits with the culture and the way that uh, an organization gets things done. That's a great way of saying it. Culture is not going to align to security. Security has to align to the culture. That's a really good way of saying it. I think that rings uh, very true. Uh, that's right on point. And so what, what, what's the importance of of governance and policies and, and all this? Uh, you know, I mean, is it just a checkbox or, or are we actually getting some value out of this or what? Well, it, it depends, and it depends on on the company. If so, I, I've worked with companies. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I've, I've been a consultant, and so uh, 
I've worked with companies where you just write a policy and it's just to check a box. It's just to say that we have this policy and it really it has no effect or impact on the organization, the way that they do business, the way that they, they can uh, conduct themselves. Um, but if you have an organization that buys into security, and, that, and that's, that's key right there, is that the, the company itself understands the value and importance of security and the policies are driven down from the top. A lot of times policies are... are referred to as the tone from the top. So if you have them signed off by executive leadership, for example, uh, then that, that tone resonates down to the rest of the organization and it gives you uh, a, a leverage, gives you leverage that you otherwise wouldn't have. So if these are, are, are like the laws of the, of the company and you say you must do this or do that, whatever it happens to be, it holds people accountable. It ensures consistency across the organization. Uh, it, 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 more than that, it actually it makes sure that your policies that you're writing aligns with the business because you're you're pushing that up the chain and you're saying, here's what I propose, and you're getting feedback from other you know representation and, and, and groups within the organization. They may say, well, this isn't going to work here, and you change this or that, and then eventually the policy that gets ratified, fully executed, is the one that fits the business the best, and then you're, you're ensuring that your program and your policies align with uh, with the business. And I guess the the, the last thing. Uh, and maybe the most important is it gives you authority. Once a, if a policy is truly bought in by the business, signed off by the executive leadership, when somebody violates that, there are consequences. And people, and when people know that they, they, and they believe that to be true, they will comply. And I think it also gives transparency and like clear guidelines to the user community, right? It says, hey, this is what you can and can't do. You know, there's no ambiguity. It's not ambiguous at all. Like you should be very clear with those policies and procedures so you know. And I think that takes a lot of the guesswork out for people to buy in because then they go, well, I thought I, I could do that. Or I wasn't sure. Right. And then when you have to pivot that, that creates an impact too, and you lose some credibility so that those clear lines um, help you maintain your credibility um, as you're enforcing things too. Yeah. Great, great point, Andy. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that, that that consistency and making sure that people know what's expected of them and, and, and removing all ambiguity uh, is, is really important. So there's a lot of different domains in cybersecurity or information security, I should say. I think when people say cybersecurity, they think of the operational piece of information security. And uh, some, one of those domains is business continuity and resiliency and you've got disaster recovery as well. And a lot of times people talk about them in the same sentence. Um, recovery is one of the last phases of the uh, cybersecurity life cycle. Um, and... A lot of times people, look, the, the material risk in most organizations right now, if you're looking at top three, definitely top five, has got to be destructive malware and the concern about your ability to recover from bare metal. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between business continuity and disaster recovery and how they all come together? Yeah, so so that, I would agree with you, that, that's a, a very often confused um, set of terms there, but business continuity, disaster recovery. Disaster recovery, so we'll start with that one, that, that's a subset of business continuity. It, it really focuses on the technology, the, the technology that supports business processes. So whether that those are the apps or the infrastructure or the telephony systems or whatever it happens to be, the data that we use day to day, it's, it's, it's being able to restore those things in a, in a, timely manner to a point that makes sense to the business. So you need to prioritize what applications, what systems, what data uh, is most important to the organization and, and set what you might call RPO and RTO or, or restore uh, point objectives and restore time objectives. So how quickly can we restore and how much data can we tolerate losing basically uh, and getting those things up and running in the event 
uh, of, of a disaster of some sort. And that disaster could be a power outage, could be a uh, you know, hardware failure, it could be a connectivity issue, it could be a natural disaster, it could be whatever. But at the end of the day, it's really focusing on the technology uh, and the infrastructure that supports business processes. Now, in a Business continuity, so disaster recovery is a part of business continuity because business continuity talks about the resiliency of the business, the ability for the business to survive in the event of an unexpected um, situation, whether that's a, a natural disaster or an environmental situation where you where you lose the ability to carry out business processes in in the traditional way. Uh, so you might lose people. Maybe you maybe you have like a pandemic like we're dealing with right now where people get sick or they can't come to work or they're 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 quarantined so they can't have they can't get physical access to a facility. Uh, you know, there might be environmental issues. I mean whatever it is, you know, how do you ensure that you can still conduct business uh, without access to, to people or facilities or or the technologies. And that's, that's really what business continuity, a lot of times you'll say the ability to go back to paper uh, is one example. It's, not, it's certainly not uh, an overall example of a business uh, continuity, but essentially how can you survive uh, when, when certain critical aspects, uh, physical facilities, people, aspects of your, your business process uh, go away or become uh, inaccessible? Do you think enough people are paying attention to the disaster recovery piece of this business continuity? And because of all the ransomware that's out there, it's really crippling companies and they're forced to pay uh, the criminals uh, to get the keys to back so they can get their, all their data back. I mean, do you think people actually put enough effort into this piece of the cybersecurity lifecycle? Well, I think if you rewind five years, I would say probably no. And I think people have woken up uh, because of the reality of the world that we live in today, the, the emerging threats that we're dealing with, like ransomware, um, you know, ha have made people aware of the fact that it's critical that we're able to restore our systems, to do it quickly, to do it with minimal loss, minimal, minimal impact to, to business. So I'd say a lot of companies are, are maturing and, uh, and, and are giving more attention to disaster recovery than they did in the past. Um, but I, I definitely would, ag would agree that or would say that uh, prior to the last five years, I'd say that was, you know, there was something that people did. They kind of walked through the motions. They would back up to either disk to disk or offsite or uh, to the cloud or to tape or whatever. And But they, never, they would never really test or ensure that that uh, disaster recovery capability was uh, um was viable you know they wouldn't they wouldn't actually do a tabletop or a real world restore to make sure that these uh, what they put in place is actually uh, working and what we've learned from ransomware is that uh, it's absolutely critical that we're, we're able to restore our systems because that's what they're going after they're going after the data and if we can't restore that data our businesses cease to exist because our businesses in the 21st century are founded on data that's really what the, the that's just the, the money maker right there so when I look at organizational structures and information security departments, I see a lot of different models. And a lot of times I see programs spread out all over the place and mixed in with, with operations uh, functions. And I'm not saying you can't do it that way. I think you, you, obviously you can skin a cat in a, a bunch of different ways, right? But I think what we're trying to get is the optimal organizational construct. And I think a lot of times uh, having these programs under one central executive who manages those portfolios of programs uh, makes it, I guess, the, the most efficient and the, and the most effective in terms of the, your ability to scale and pivot and, uh, and react to different things that happen in your information security operations uh, space. So you have all these foundational programs. A lot of times you can have up to 20 programs easily if uh, you're a big organization. 
Um, you know, and these and these programs are probably optimally uh, under under these different portfolios, like maybe a data governance portfolio, <laughs> and you might have an IAM portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. What are the top five programs that you think should be prioritized by every CISO? What are the most important things they need to do? Um, so, so the first thing I think that every CISO needs to prioritize is, is asset management. I mean, you, you might say, well, that's not securing anything. Well, it, it's identifying what you need to secure. And if you don't know what you have in your environment, what's permitted from a hardware, from a software perspective, what your architecture looks like, how data flows uh, throughout your organization, then you're you're going to be clueless as to how to how to uh, apply controls uh, in, a, in an adequate way to secure the business. Um, the, the the second one is uh, is incident response. I brought this up a couple of times, and I think our our number one responsibility as a you know an information security officer, an information security officer, is to ensure that the the resiliency of the business, the ability to respond to a uh, a threat and or a business impacting event in a way that allows the business to continue with the, the least impact. And so incident response is all about um, visibility, making sure that you can see what's happening in your environment. You can see a uh, threat brewing and, and and beyond that, because if you just see it and you have, you're, you're powerless to do anything about it, that's, you, that's useless. So from there you have to have the, the, the procedural, the, the processes, the, 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 the incident response plan and the run books to go along with that, that have been, you know, properly vetted and tested so that you can then respond to that in a way that mitigates that and, and uh, you know, reduces the, the impact or the, uh, the, the efficacy of that, uh, that event. Um, next one we've talked about already is disaster recovery, having the ability to restore business operations from a technical perspective. Um, and then you mentioned uh, just a second ago, uh, IAM or identity and access management. And I, and I would couple with that privileged access management. So making sure that we apply principles of least privilege and, and we really give out privileged access in a uh, very select and controlled way. So most, uh, most exploits or most compromises to organizations have at some point have to get elevated privilege, whether that's through compromise of a vulnerability and getting system level access or compromising a, a local or domain admin account. Uh, at some point, that's what you have to do. You, you have to up the admin or you have to elevate privilege to, to execute or to properly exploit an, an environment. So making sure that you control access, have strong passwords, have role-based access, and you, you limit local admin privilege to, to laptops and systems of the environment, and that you really monitor and control uh, privileged access or administrative access uh, throughout the environment. And then you can do this uh, through policies, through processes, also through technology. There's, uh, there's some good uh, platforms out there for, uh, for privileged privilege access management and identity and access management that you can leverage. Um, and then the last one I'd say is, uh, is vulnerability management. I mentioned this one earlier, um, but at the end of the day, you know, risk, managing risk is about uh, vulnerabilities being exploited by threats, creating some sort of likelihood of, of, of that occurring and then the business impact. So if you can control, if you can reduce and minimize the, the number of vulnerabilities, the severity of vulnerabilities within your environment, um, that, that that's key. And that, that really boils down to making sure that you're scanning uh, at, you know, the, for vulnerabilities at the system level, uh, right up through the application layer, uh, identifying those those holes, those missing patches, those configuration errors, those those uh, those holes in access, those things that we just you know, overlooked, and and having a plan to to remediate and address those. You know, I find it interesting that a lot of the things that you just mentioned about the most important programs really have to 
be related back to just good, good cyber hygiene defense and a lot of the basics, right? I mean, at, right out of the gate, you know, asset inventory, I don't think a lot of people would have said that. And it really is so important because you can't patch anything that you don't know. You can't patch systems you don't know you have, right? Um, and we already know that some of the biggest breaches in the world happen because of bad asset inventory practices. Uh, and it is so important. It is so important. Do you think people really have run books? Do you think they have run books? You know, as a whole, you look at the top 50 companies in the world. Do you think they have run books that they need to respond to different incidents? Uh, that's the top 50, yes. I, I would say, I mean, I've seen large organizations that don't have proper governance and, and things like run books in place, but it's it's becoming more the exception rather than the rule. I, I would say the the more enterprise, maybe smaller enterprise organizations, they, they probably lack run books because they, they end up, what they end up doing is they end up expecting more for people. They, they want them to do more with less. And so you get a team that's over uh, overtaxed, overburdened, uh, over over operationalized. When you when you over operationalize a security team, you, you don't allow them the time to do what I, what I would call is the the upper right quadrant things, the things that are not urgent but very important. Things like writing the policies, like we're creating that plan and that runbook and testing those those uh, those processes, making sure that they uh, they they work. Um, so I, I'd say the larger companies. If they didn't have those, uh, shame on them because they're you know a lot of these are publicly traded companies and they have, you know they, they have an obligation to the shareholders to make sure that they have these processes and these systems in place. Um, but the smaller companies, uh, the, the enterprise and smaller enterprise uh, organizations, there's probably a lot of them out there that don't because, like I said, they, they just get overtaxed and they don't have the time to do it, and that's unfortunate. So, what do you think the value is of a third-party risk assessment or a pen test, and how important it is to have? your own pen testing internal team. I think, you know, third party, third party risk are probably one of the top three material risk, you know, destructive malware, probably third party, probably insider threat in a lot of organizations. Uh, you know, it's a big concern. You know, what is, uh, what say you about third party? So, so third party from a risk assessment perspective, okay, not, not a vendor risk management perspective, but from a risk assessment perspective, I think it has value because it gives you no side view of your security posture of your, your security program. So you have somebody come in and, and they, they either validate what you already knew and it gives you sort of some, some credibility with, uh, with the board, with upper management as you're starting to develop or push for, for budget or for various things that you need. Um, but, uh, I think maybe above and beyond that, it, you know, it, it allows you that uh, pen testing because I, there's, there's something I want to call out here about pen testing. This is kind of kind of my view on things, but uh, I'm going to bring it up. And if you have any counter uh, perspectives on it, by all means, uh, let me know. But pen testing, you know, if you've never done a risk assessment, if you've never really done a vulnerability assessment, if, if, it's your, if you're just hitting, you know, kind of really just starting to build your security program and you start with a pen test, I think that's a waste of money. I think you just throw money out the window because there's, I mean, a good pen tester is if you if you've never really built a security program or, or had uh, uh, your security tested or, or assessed in the past, and you, and you haven't remediated those issues, they're going to go through your network like a hot knife through butter. And so the the value of a pen test, in my opinion, is to so step one, get a risk assessment or a vulnerability assessment performed, identify those critical holes, those vulnerabilities, those threats, and patch those and remediate those to the to the best that you can that in a way that lines with the business. And then once you have those controls in place, then you do a pen test. And a pen test, what that'll do is that will that will validate the effectiveness of the controls that you've put in place, the remediation efforts that you've uh, that you've implemented. So, uh, and I'm not saying this is a universal rule because pen testing from an application perspective really kind of finds things uh, that, that you otherwise wouldn't find. But at the end of the day, when somebody does a pen test, 
they're not, they're, they're going to do step one is kind of, uh, you know, doing reconnaissance and then then inventorying your systems and, and, and vulnerabilities and then going through and, and exploiting. And there's no way that they're going to exploit every single vulnerability that you have. Um, so if they come back with that narrative that says we got in and we got in this way and, and that way, um, it really just tells you a story that you, you, you do have some holes, but uh, whereas a, a vulnerability or a risk assessment is more comprehensive in nature, it gives you that sort of 10,000 foot view of your uh, organization, the, the security posture that you're dealing with, the, the gaps and the major holes that you have. And then from there, you can create a remediation plan uh, to address uh, in a more those issues in Hey, George, I think it's important too for the audience that, you know, he, you know, Sean's keen on one important thing, which he's mentioned now a couple of times in this last, last question here, which is remediation, right? It's one thing to identify the gap, but having the ability to, you know, the technical know-how, the influence, the partnership, the alignment across the different parts of the company to drive that remediation all the way to the end so that it's no longer a gap, I think is grossly understated um, in, in our industry. We're we, very quick to find the things, right? Talk about what we found but getting those things completely remediated and closed, you know, deal with them and then monitor that they're not a problem anymore, which I think a pen test helps you with um, is, is good. So Sean, I appreciate you calling out the remediation piece because that, that is a big, big problem, I think. Yeah, and I'll even tack onto that and say that if you perform a risk assessment or a vulnerability assessment and you identify all these weaknesses within the organization and you do nothing about it, you actually open up a huge liability for the company. Because if you were to get breached or, or somebody's data was compromised as a result of whatever, and then they realized, and, and, and you went to litigation or so you got a lawsuit or something happened where you now had to defend your, your actions and they had record of the fact that you, were, you knew about this a year or two or however many, how long ago, and you did nothing about it, the, the company then becomes liable as a result of that. All right, guys, we've got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer of VisionWorks, Mr. Sean Walls. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. 
with forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer of VisionWorks, Mr. Sean Walls. So, Sean, we were talking a little bit before about uh, governance and policies and maybe how this might be a checkbox as opposed to actually risk, you know, uh, risk management uh, practices. But how do you effectively manage compliance? We, always, we talk about regulatory harmonization. I mean, at one point I found myself with the, uh, the last organization I worked for, I was in charge of. Uh, 100 regulatory agencies in 64 countries. I mean, it was crazy. 
It was crazy. It was enough to make you want to gargle Drano. I mean, how do you effectively do this? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's a good question. And there's just no hard, fast answer to that. But there are ways to um, to manage it more effectively. And, and, and it's always unique to, to the business. I mean, some, some companies are just crazily over-regulated or just regulated to the degree that it just becomes a, a full-time job for a department. But in my experience, what what's worked best is is making compliance part of uh, everyday business and security management for that matter. So rather than trying to scramble once a year to meet an audit or making sure you know just just you know running from audit to audit to audit and just trying to make sure you're bridging those gaps in preparation for that auditor to come on site, you 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 extend compliance as part of or you extend security I guess as part of your compliance management. So you. You, you map your controls, your governance, your policies, your standards, your processes, uh, your, your technical and non-technical administrative organizational that is controlled into compliance. So, for example, if you're managing, um, you know, whether that's risk management or the, the length of a password, the password policy that you have in place, you take a look not only at what best practices are out there, but what compliance obligations you have to, to meet, and you 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 settle on the least common denominator or the, 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 you know, the, the most stringent common denominator, I guess is a better way to say that. So if you have a bunch of different standards out there and you're meeting them across the board, why don't you just go to the most difficult one and, and, and level on that one? And what that'll do is that'll allow you to manage your policies, your processes, your standards, all these governance artifacts facts as well as the, uh, the configuration of systems and the administrative and organizational aspects of security and compliance in, under, under one umbrella. And that's, that's, that's the power of uh, and why the you know, GRC platforms have become so popular because you, you blend your governance, your risk, and your compliance into one cohesive uh, business practice, if you will. Um, because compliance is not just technical, it's not just cybersecurity related, it's uh, oftentimes uh, intertwined with the business to a large degree. Privacy is a really good example of that, uh, where you know it's, it's really about how the associates or how the people, the employees of the organization are conducting business on a day-to-day basis that determines whether you meet that compliance requirement or not. So baking that into a program that, that, that is easy to manage in, in, under one pane of glass or under one program uh, makes things much much simpler. It reduces the effort, reduces the complexity, uh, and and certainly the stress uh, when audit time comes around. So, what do you think the future of information security looks like uh, with all this emerging technology coming into play? I mean, th- there's a lot to think about. Yeah. So that that's. I mean, the, the next five to ten years is going to be incredibly interesting to watch. I mean, we're seeing emerging technologies pop up left and right, whether that's artificial intelligence or virtual reality or, or IoT type capabilities or a blockchain or, or robotics. I mean, you just name it. The list goes on and on and on. Autonomous systems. Uh, well, what you're going to see is two things. So, so I'll divide my answer into two different parts. The first one is the the, the governance. I think you're going to see. Uh, security continue to evolve and, and, and align more with business. You've got some, for example, FAIR that, that really kind of tries to quantify uh, risk and manage it more from a business perspective. But on the technology side, I think what you're going to see, uh, and it's, it's, it's already here to a large degree for those that are, are keeping their eyes open, is you're going to have machine-on-machine uh, warfare that's going to be uh, commonplace. And so artificial intelligence systems that can not only 
automate or script the the attack, but then can make logical decisions based on what they're seeing and and then respond, pivot, move laterally, and and then on the, on the defensive side, you're gonna you're, you already have systems that can understand what normal is or can recognize a threat as it's emerging and and respond autonomously, and eventually you're gonna start removing the human aspect of that response capability and allow machines to do it more and more. Right now, we don't trust machines enough to do that. But uh, in, in the next five years, it's going to be commonplace. We're just, we, we just turn these you know, endpoint detection and response or you know, threat detection and response systems on, and it monitors your network and recognizes a threat or an attack as it's emerging, knows exactly what it is, what it's doing, and how to respond and mitigate against that. And you're going to have, on the flip side, the, the, the threat actors doing the exact same thing, where rather than having a handler that has to then you know, once a, once a bot or, or, or a, a script gets a, a foothold in a system, then it has to, you know, the, the handler has to hop on and manually then pivot and move, move within the, the environment. These, these artificial intelligence systems are going to have the, the, the ability to recognize high value targets, to know where the, the, the assets of the data is and, and how to exploit that and exfiltrate that without any human intervention whatsoever. So it's going to be machine on machine warfare is what I, what I see happening. So if you go out to the RSA conference, I think artificial intelligence was probably one of the main themes, uh, if not the main theme of the conference. Do you think artificial intelligence has actually impacted the uh, cybersecurity industry today? Is there a lot of use cases of artificial intelligence being being utilized today in, in the industry? Well, absolutely. It's everywhere. And and it's just exploding, mm-hmm. like, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I mean, I just mentioned endpoint detection and response. How about... Uh, um, you know, next-gen antiviruses are a really good example. So rather than looking at definitions or signatures or hashes of, uh, you know, of a file or of a, of a malicious binary, we just tell the machine, this is what a, you know, this is what a malicious file or virus looks like. This is what it, this is what it does. This is how it behaves. This is, what, this is how it moves. This is where it stores itself. This is what it changes in the, in, on a system or in the environment. And you just, and then it learns and it, and it just knows how to respond uh, automatically. And it's, it's a perfect way of, uh, of defeating those polymorphic type viruses that have some intelligence built to, to them as well. So they're changing shape and size and, and file name and all these other things. So their hash is constantly moving. So you can't, you can't find those or detect those things in a traditional uh, way like we used to say 10 years ago. Um, you know, that deception technology is another good example where you can have uh, a somewhat artificial intelligence embedded uh, application go out there, look at your environment, and then, and then create a mimicked, more vulnerable uh, version or, or copy of your environment. So run databases and applications and file shares out there that are more attractive a, tar- a target to, to a threat that's moving uh, and pivoting within your environment. So then once it goes and it starts attacking those de- deception platforms, then you have an opportunity to gather information where it's coming from, what's, what it's doing and, and, and so on. Uh, and then be able to respond, advise you a little bit of time. It, it uh, you know, deflects that attack a little bit. Um, so, and I think you're just going to see it continue to grow and grow and grow um, over the next five years. I think AI is going to be everywhere in, in, in IT and in uh, cybersecurity. So what are the three things that people can do today to better protect themselves from cyber threats? If you had to say, these are the top three things that make the biggest impact, get the biggest bang for your buck to protect yourself, your family, or your business. Um, so I, I kind of hit on all of them before. They're, they're my go-to. They're my foundational things. Uh, that, hy- that hygiene stuff that I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, restrict 
patch and train, I think is a good way to summarize that. So restrict access, uh, your control access maybe. Um, so making sure that you use least privilege, you have strong passwords or authentication mechanisms. I, I would recommend multi-factor authentication, especially for critical systems, uh, restricting administrative privilege uh, and so on. Um, and then patching, I mean, 85, I'd say probably north of 80, 85% of our issues are patch related. So if we have a good patching program, and especially for the third party stuff, like the, the Adobe and the Flash and the Java and, and uh, you know, Office products and so on, if we patch those things religiously and uh, in, a, in, a, in a controlled way where we're testing, we have a really mature patching program, um, we, we reduce our, our threat footprint or, or you know, uh, our, our risk profile significantly by, by just getting rid of those. And I guess the last thing, like I said, is, is training. Um, you know, your, your employees can be your biggest threat, but they can also be your biggest ally. They're your, your biggest asset. And uh, making sure that they know what's important to the business, what to share, what not to share, how to recognize a, a phishing attack or a threat as it, as it manifests, and how to notify the, the security team or the business uh, of these kinds of activities in the environment will give you an extra layer of, uh, of visibility and visibility is key. Being able to respond, uh, you know, is important, but if you can't see it, you can't respond to it. Sean, thanks for so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Hey George, it's been my pleasure and, and Andy as well. I appreciate it guys. And uh, anytime you want me to come on, uh, just let me know. Yeah, definitely can't wait to have you back. I appreciate it. All right, folks, uh, we got to go. We got to jump, but before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.